Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> People in the back are doing this because I'm wearing a Hawaiian like shirt. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the last time you saw a someone come up here to preach with shorts on. Um, my excuse is we had a picnic right before this, and it's hot. All right, but even if we didn't have the picnic, I think I would have worn it anyways. All right, but James Hyung is officially an elder now, and one of the jobs of an elder is to keep the pastors in check, and I happen to be one of the pastors, and, but outside of being an elder, James Hyung has been a Hyung to me for the past six years, has always been keeping me in check, so now he's just invading all areas of my life. <laughs> I love you, bro, but um, yeah, um, I haven't preached in a, in a while here in New Philly, and I'm excited to preach, and Later on, what's going to happen is I'm going to, sh- I'm going to preach from the Word, and I'm going to share a little bit of what's going on in my life, um, and then you'll understand why I haven't been preaching for a while. And then after that, we're going to actually spend some time praying together as a community. Um, we'll just get into a time of ministry. It's been a while since we've done that. So you guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. Um, so Pastor Susie has been preaching a sermon series for the past three weeks, a sermon series titled... A season of rebuilding, right? Everyone say rebuilding. Right? Oh, I missed that. Everyone say rebuild. all right, all right. rebuilding, right? So she's been preaching from the book of Nehemiah, right? And just a short recap for those who do not know what has been going on. Nehemiah is a book that we all go to when we, you know, talk about rebuilding, right? And what happened in this book, in summary, is talking about, she said, it talks about how the people of God, the Israelites, were in exile, right? They were living in Jerusalem, and they were in exile, right, under the people called the Babylonians, right? So the Babylonians captured the people of God, and then time went on, and then the Persians came through and, and took over, and now we have the people of God under the rule of the Persians, right? An exile, And the time finally came when they were led out of captivity, freedom, right? Out of captivity, and they had favor to return back to home. They had favor to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple, to rebuild their walls, and to rebuild their way of life. That's what's been going on here, right? Now, through God has set apart specific people, people like Ezra, people like Nehemiah. And through them, what was happening over the years is there was reform, right? There was restoration of many things. Let me just list just a few that she, she mentioned in the past couple sermons. There was restoration of the temple life. There was restoration of returning back to the word. Or in that case, back to the teachings of the Torah, Right? There was restoration of worship. There was restoration of gatherings and events to return back to God. Restoration, basically, back to God. Restoration of rebuilding the city and spiritual renewal overall. That's what was going on. And a lot of churches and a lot of pastors actually refer to the book of Nehemiah whenever they want to preach on this topic called revival. Right? We all love that word, revival. Contend for revival. But what's really going on here is revival. right? Revival of the heart. Revival in a a, a people group. Revival of a nation. That's what's going on here. 
revival, right? Now, after all of these things that Pastor Susie preached on, in the end of that first message, she dropped a, like, downer conclusion, womp womp conclusion, right? After she listed out all these things that God was doing to restore, and they were, and they're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding the walls, all these resources and all these things are provided. They did all these things, all these outward actions to get right with God. And then what happened? And then she said this, but eventually as time passed, they fell back into idolatry and they relapsed and they fell away from God again. You see, and she said, the problem was that over the years, even though God had blessed them, even though they returned back to Jerusalem, even, they, even though they did all these outward actions and things to rebuild, you know, programs, to rebuild uh, the temple life, to rebuild tradition and rituals and all these things, the problem was that they did not have a new heart. For those of us who are here, remember that. In the end, Nehemiah chapter 13, she mentioned how the problem was, all the outward actions were there. The problem was they didn't have a new heart. And that caught my attention. Their hearts did not change. They did not have a new heart. And when she said that, it struck me. It struck me and I was convicted. And this is what I was convicted of. That even us as a community, us as a church... As we're going through this season of rebuilding, of of healing, trying to get back on our feet. Brothers and sisters, we too can do all these programs. We too can get back into CG or house church. We too can administer all these programs and go back to past prayer meetings like Friday Fire and, and, and JPM and all these. For those of us, you know, who've been around. We too can do all these things, come to Sunday service, perfect attendance, and all these things. But did you know that, you know, don't judge these people because we can be just like that. We too can move forward, very passionate and zealous. But first things first, the most important thing that we need to be convicted of and hunger after individually and as a community, you know what it is? It's a new heart. It's a healthy heart. Amen? Right? So, that leads to today's passage. It's just one verse. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. If you do turn there in your physical Bible, underline it, highlight it, whatever it takes. Put glitter around it, right? Make it shine, all right? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And many of us who's, who's, who have grown up in the church, you've, we've all heard this verse before. And in the ESV, it says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The message version, it says this. Keep vigilant watch. Everyone say watch. Over your heart, that's where life starts. That word should pop out to us already. Keep Watch over our hearts. For those of us who've been here listening to the sermon series, Pastor Susie mentioned how when they were rebuilding the walls around the city, the purpose of that wall was that there was a little trench on on top so that who stood there? Watchmen to keep watch over the city of who comes in and who comes out. Here, 
It says, keep watch with vigilance over our hearts. Right? And in the NASB version, it says this, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from your heart flows the springs of life. Again, that language, keep watch with diligence. Don't slip. Right? It's kind of like this for modern day terms. Some of you guys will understand me when I say this. It's like having a bouncer over our hearts. Right? For those who don't understand, God bless you. You don't need to understand, right? I know what it is, right? Having a bouncer at a club. It's like having that watch over who comes in and who comes out. You know what I'm saying, right? And then they're NIV. And the NIV I love. Because it really points out something. In the NIV it says, above all else. Everyone say, above all else. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. Now here's the thing. The person writing this right now, King Solomon, all right? Every time I've heard this verse preached, majority of the time, I hear it in one context. Dating. Right? Now let me ask you a question. When Solomon penned this and wrote this, do you think he had in mind dating? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, Solomon sucked at dating. He had like 700 wives and 300 concubines. You know what I'm saying? But it's so interesting because when you read this, Solomon, who wrote, who God used to write majority of the Proverbs, right? So many Proverbs. Out of all these things, all this wisdom that he's giving, think about it. Solomon's like what? Above all else. More important than anything else that I'm going to tell you, above all these things, please, watch over your heart. Guard your heart. You see how important he's emphasizing this, right? But it's ironic, and I love God for this. It's ironic because Solomon, he's not preaching out of success here. He's preaching out of failure. You know, how many of us know right? We're all, a lot of us are very young in here, so we have not experienced that much life yet, including me, right? I'm very young, see, right? Like, how many of us know that a lot of wisdom can come out of our failures, right? Solomon, a little bit about him, he's the son of David and Bathsheba. He was born out of adultery, right? He's the third king of Israel, and he became king at the age of 12. Wow. He built, he did a lot of great things. He built an extravagant temple for God, right? All these, administered all these, basically the biggest, like, like, extravagant temple worship that you can imagine. He did that, right? But it's interesting. The way that he did it, he advanced his own way. He cut corners. Because in the Old Testament law, it said over and over again, do not join, you know, do not, uh, partnered together with foreigners. But you know what he did? He married foreign women for political advances. Right? So Solomon, for political reasons, so for example, with the nation of Egypt, he would take on their concubines, right? For just political agendas and to advance his kingdom and all that. 
He has 700 wives, 300 concubines, filthy rich. He even went after other gods. He even sacrificed to other gods as the king of Israel. Now here he is. I see him as a man of actually, a man of lust. A man who wanted to take control of things to get his own way. Instead of fearing the Lord. Which is interesting because isn't he the one that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? But here is this man right here saying, fear the Lord. Here is this man right here saying, guard your heart. But the way that he exemplified his life, it doesn't really necessarily show that, doesn't it? But the thing is, I love that about God. Because, you know, one thing that we do have to understand, that a lot of wisdom, God can speak through people that fail. He definitely can, right? Now, guard your heart. Our heart here, it refers to our inner man. It refers to our souls. It refers to our spirits, right? It's not talking about our physical hearts. It's talking about our inner man, all right? Now, why, is our, why are our hearts, why, why are hearts so important, huh? Why? Throw some ghetto language, all right? Because our hearts is the place where it contains values. Everyone says values. Say values, right? Our hearts are the place where values are shaped, right? And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Even right now, there's a war after your heart. God is after your heart, but also the enemy is after your heart. It's either the values of the kingdom of God cultivate in our hearts or the values of the kingdom of this world cultivate in our hearts. Our hearts are so important, right? Our hearts contain the kingdom. You know, we hear about when we read the Bible, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, right? You know, when... Jesus teaches on his kingdom. When Jesus teaches on the kingdom of God, his, his longest sermon, is just, which is Matthew chapter 5 to 7, you know how he starts with? He starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who pure in heart. All of these things, when he starts teaching on the kingdom of God, he has everything to do with the heart. So, We pray and we desire, God, we want your kingdom to manifest in me and through me. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. God, let your kingdom come in my workplace. God, let your kingdom come in my family. God, let your kingdom come in this, this, and this. But you know where it starts, right? It starts right here in our hearts. That's why we got to guard it, right? You see, it says here, guard with vigilance. Extra security, protecting at all costs. Right? Now, like this, I have an iPhone, right? I have an iPhone, and if I went out in public and I put it on the bench, right, and I walked away, and I come back four hours later, will it still be there? Let's say we're not in Korea. Okay, Korea will be there, right? <laughs> let's go. Let's say like in uh, in America, right? Will it be there? It ain't gonna be there, right? Let's say, like, I have a, a stick of gum, juicy fruit, whatever, right? And I put, I put it on the bench, I walk away, I come back. It may still be there. And the answer is, why? I mean, the question is why. The answer is very simple. It's because 
you know, the iPhone is valuable, right? Which brings a very simple but very important point to us this afternoon. We will only guard that which we value. We will only guard that which we value. And the question I want us to think about today is, do we value ourselves? Do we value our hearts? Really, how do we see ourselves? Or do we just kind of let loose and let whatever come in, into our hearts? Do we really value our hearts? Right? A question that I want to ask us today, please think about this, it's, is, do you believe that you have a healthy heart today? Ask yourself this question. Do you believe that your heart is healthy today? Do you consider yourself to have a strong self-awareness of your heart? Do we have self-awareness? Do we even know how to read our hearts? I like to use this term, heart literacy. Heart literacy, the ability to read your heart. Do we have that ability to read our hearts? How, can, how do you answer the question, do you have a healthy heart? Right? How do we? You see, I've, I've come to know that in this short life, um, how do I see more clearly where my heart is? You know, in Psalm 139, we pray, God, search my heart. Show me. Test me. See if there is anything in here, you know, that's not pleasing to you. We pray that, but what does that actually look like? Does God show you a supernatural image of what it looks like? Sometimes he does. But it's kind of like this. I've never worn glasses before because I'm 2020. Praise God, right? But like, you know, for those of you, sorry, for those of you who do wear glasses, you know, when you take off your glass and you start reading, it's very blurry, right? And then when you put on the lens, everything becomes clear, right? For me, when it comes to heart literacy and reading my heart, there are actually a couple things that represent that lens to help me see clearly. There's three things, right? And first is the word of God. You've heard this before. We don't read the Word of God. The Word of God reads us. The Word of God is the very plumb line that we place our lives next to and measure. Are we, on, are we off? Are we crooked? Are we straight? You know what I'm saying? The Word of God is that lens to see where, how do we read our hearts. The second thing, it's trials and suffering. When you go through stuff in life, you begin to see how you handle those things. And all this stuff begins to come out. And then the third, you're going to love this, is people. Right? It's people. And I'm not talking about people that bless you. Right? I'm talking about people where God uses to sanctify you. Right? We have all those. I have that. Even on staff. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I am that. I am that, all right? <laughs> Come on, somebody, right? So, how do we read our hearts, right? It's important to be able to read our hearts. Our hearts are valuable. Actually, we cannot live out who God created us to be without guarding our hearts. 
right? Let me read this quote by Greg Allen. He says this, If you effectively protect your car from theft, your home from, from burglary, your prosperity from damage, your financial interests from failure, and your body from personal illness and injury, and even our borders from terrorist attacks, and yet fail at protecting this one all-important thing as the Bible warns us, that singular failure will affect all areas of our lives. The plain fact is that more personal ruin and eternal loss has been caused by a failure to protect this one thing than all failures to protect material matters combined. And yet, hardly anyone gives a single thought to keeping and guarding the heart. Pastor Susie's been talking about the city of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And if you look at a layout of the city of Jerusalem, what you'll find is that the, the city is very beautiful, right? Jerusalem actually means the city of peace, right? Yeru Shalom, right? The city of peace. And what you find in the layout of the city is that what did God send Nehemiah for? To rebuild the walls, right? Around and then in the center of the city, what you find is the temple, right? In Jerusalem, the temple. Now, here's the thing. When you read the Old Testament, you will see that this temple is so important for the way of life for the people of God. Within this temple, there's a room called the Holy of Holies. And in that room, there's this amazing box called the Ark of the Covenant, made of gold and wood, right? The Ark of the Covenant is so revered. When we talk about fear of the Lord, we talk about how they treat this Ark of the Covenant. This Ark of the Covenant, a.k.a. you know, this temple in general, you know what this temple represented for the people of God? It represented God's presence with them. Actually, this temple was so important, it represented all kinds of any connection with God between God and His people. The reason why God instituted and gave instructions to build this temple was because God said, because I want to be with them. They will be my people and I will be their God. This temple was so important. Right? And when, the, when the enemies of Israel attacked, they broke through the walls. And you know what they would go after to attack? They would go after the Ark of the Covenant. Because even the enemy knew that when they stole the Ark of the Covenant, what they were stealing, they were stealing the lifeblood away from the people of God. They were at a disadvantage. The people of God would fear, they would freak out when the temple was destroyed. Because to them, the temple represented God with them. It represented intimacy with God. It represented favor with God. It represented, it was all of life to them, the temple. Right? You see, for New Testament believers, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we are God's temple today. You know, turn to your neighbor and say, you are God's temple you are God's temple. God's presence now dwells in us. God's spirit now dwells in us. But you know what? Just like in the same way the enemies attacked Israel to try to attack the temple, guess what? 
even today, there's an enemy out there trying to come through and attack our temples. Trying to cut through and steal away the very thing that represents the presence of God. Our intimacy with God. Our connection with God. You guys, you guys with me, right? And so what we, what we find here is that guarding our hearts means to guard our intimacy and connection with God above all else. The measures that Israelites took to guard the temple... We should take that much effort, that much reverence toward guarding our hearts. Guarding our intimacy with God. Guarding our connection with God. And with this illustration, I want to continue to add to this. And what we find here is this. Jerusalem was surrounded by walls, right? And in these walls, there were watchmen and, you know, there were all these north, south, east, west. There were these things in these walls called Gates. Gates, right? The watchmen would watch over who would come in, who would come out. The gates were so important to the protection of the city, right? For us, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to secure and build our walls? And do we even have walls when we guard our hearts? These gates, it's very practical. It's actually called, everyone say, boundaries. It's called boundaries, Right? These boundaries is drawing that line, drawing that line between us and our intimacy with God and whatever threat comes our way to t- try to take that away. Right? It could be very practical. For example, something that I've done recently, I've deleted Instagram. I'm not on Instagram anymore. I haven't been on in a long time. I haven't been on in the past three months except two days for my birthday, right? Right? You see... Instagram, I'm not even joking here. Don't laugh, right? <laughs> All right. Instagram, it's, it's really crossed that boundary so much. And it's really affected my relationship with God and my relationship with people. So we got to draw that wall, that boundary there, right? But that's one silly example, right? Silly. It's serious, right? Serious example, right? But other things are relationships. Other things are our jobs, Right? Other things are our friendships, right? Boundaries is something that we really need to guard our hearts. Now, this is where I get really convicted as I was studying this. It's among these walls, there are gates. What do these gates represent? To me, the gates represents my eyes and my ears. These gates represent what are we regulating? What are we watching over to allow coming into our system and coming out of our system. Because here's the thing. We all know, we will all say yes and amen to this. I was made to influence culture with the culture of the kingdom of God. Amen. Right? I was made as a Christian to be salt and light, to go into my workplace, to go into, you know, Hagwan, to go into church, wherever we are. And we are to release the culture of the kingdom of God. We are to shape the, you know, you know, the workplaces with the culture of the kingdom of God, the culture of heaven. But you know what? You know, there's this thing that we maybe take lightly. It's called sin nature. And here's the thing. I'll be the first to admit this. I'm not sure how much I have influenced this world. And I'll be honest with you guys. I'll be the first to admit that actually I have not been guarding my gates. And it's very subtle. It's very subtle. But I realize this. There are certain values 
And there are certain principalities, there are certain ways of thinking, mindsets, that I realized that actually the world has actually been shaping in me. And I don't even know. We don't even know it. So it all has to do with guarding our hearts and guarding our gates. Amen? Right? Jerry Bridges, he says, As Satan keeps special watch here, so must we keep special watch as well. If the citadel is taken, the whole town must surrender. If the heart is captured, the whole man, affections, desires, motives, pursuits will all be handed over. All be handed over. John, John, John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You should glitter this as well, right? John 10, 10 is that the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give life in its fullness. And I love this because another translation, it says, I have come to give you abundant life. Everyone say abundant life. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, you are made for abundant life. You see, I love, I love this verse so much because you know what this means? That means when Jesus went to the cross, right? When Jesus got crucified, he didn't only just save us from something, from sin and death, and brought us to ground zero. Actually, Jesus saved us into something as well. Jesus saved us into this life called the abundant life. The new creation life. He didn't just save us to leave us there. He saved us us to bless us to live this life, not until we get to heaven, but living heaven now. That's what he did when he said it is finished and he rose again. Amen? But the thing is, here's the thing. When we don't guard our gates, when we don't guard our hearts against the culture and of this world, you you know what happens? We begin to define what abundant life looks like on our own terms. What is abundant life according to the Bible? What is abundant life that Jesus wants us to live, that he has for us as our inheritance? Because if we're not doing that, you know what happens? We define abundant life. You see material things, things we see, right? Reputation, making it up the ladder, right? But then abundant life in, G- in Christ, you know what that means? It's not ne- it doesn't necessarily mean worldly accumulation, right? I'm not saying this is all bad, okay? It's all, we're all called to steward these things, okay? But look, an abundant heart, it means this, fruitfulness within our hearts. Fruitfulness within. And it's talking about values of the kingdom of God. It's talking about character. It's talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know... All these things at the end of your jobs, at the end of this year, when you assess and debrief yourself and you ask yourself, what was my metric of success in life at this job? You know, was it more money? Right. Was it more this, more that? How about the metric being, you know, what is God's metric of abundant life? That metric being, hey, have I gained more influence through relationships, through my character? Right? Have I grown in patience? Have I grown in these things? Because you know what? God looks at these things. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Amen? <clears throat> I haven't preached in a long time. I think I'm going to go well today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, not sorry. All right? There's a movie I saw uh, called Ocean's 13. Raise your hand if you've seen this movie. Ocean's 13. All right? Now, Ocean's 13... It's a series, right? And basically, the movie is about a heist. 
It's about a group of people that get together that, that plan on how to steal something. Really expensive. Ocean's 13, these group of people, they get together and they try to steal this billion dollar necklace underground through all these lasers. And you know how it is, right? But the thing is, in this movie, they come up with all these plans and you see that whatever treasure that is, that billion dollar necklace, it's so guarded well. But the team finds its way through and they steal that necklace. But what else happens? That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is this. end of their plan is this. They also make a fake one that looks exactly like that billion-dollar necklace. It weighs the same. It looks the same. Right? What do they do? They replace it. They put it in there. And then the owner of that necklace, what do they do? She walks around as if, like, it's real, but she's walking around with a fake thing. Right? When I was watching this, I, I don't know why, but I immediately thought of this verse, John 10.10. And I felt like this. There's a reason why. John 10.10. 10, yeah, right. There's a reason why. And it's this. I found that in my life. You know, we're all going through spiritual warfare even right now. I found that the enemy has stolen many things in my heart. But even the enemy, he not only steals our identities, tries to steal our identities, our purpose, you know, peace, the way we look at life perspective he steals so many things he tends to replace it as well well with what we think is the abundant life but it's actually not and there's different versions of this it looks the same it feels the same it's called religion on the outside we could be doing all these things we could be real rebuilding this church doing it this way and that way but you know what we got to check our hearts are we really living the real gospel centered life Are we really living the real Christ-centered life? Or has the enemy replaced something that we think we're actually living what God destined for us? You see, guarding our hearts, I hope we understand by now how important this is before we even lift a finger to do anything or as we lift fingers to do things. We got to watch our hearts. What does that mean? Guarding our hearts means to cultivate a healthy and vibrant private life. And we all say private life. I'm reading this book by Gordon McDonald and it's jacking me up. It's called Ordering Your Private World. You should read it. It'll jack you up, right? The reason why this book is messing me up because I've come to realize in this past season that I hated being alone. I feared being alone. Whenever it was time to go home, I didn't want to, I didn't want, I didn't want to do it, right? God showed me that I had a very unhealthy, independent life, right? Now, before I go into my story, because our hearts, um, I need to share this, is guarding our hearts means to guard our private worlds because our hearts are precious, right? And it says this, are we going to order our inner worlds or our hearts so that they will radiate influence into the outer world, or will we neglect our private worlds and thus permit the outer influences to shape us? You know, when I read this, you know what happened with me? Just because, like, you guys know my vocation. You guys know my job, right? Is to be a pastor. Okay? My job, it's a real job, guys. <laughs> right? Sometimes, sometimes hard to believe, but it's a real job, right? 
But here's the thing. Even in my job as a pastor, even though I'm studying the Bible, I'm reading all these articles, I'm praying and doing all these things, and I really do do that, right? Even though I'm doing all the things, guess what? Little did I know that so much of what I did, even in my job, it really shaped my identity. My public life or my vocation gave me my peace and my security. I want to share with you what happened uh, in my life in the past three or four months. Right? Um, what happened was a month, uh, about four months ago, was it four months ago? Yeah. Around four months ago, I went to America to rest. Some of you guys know this. I went to rest in America and for a month to catch up with friends and family, all these things. I'm like, yeah, let's do this, right? And then I go to America, and, and after three days, I'm alone in my room, and then something happens for the first time in my life. For the first time in my life, I start shaking, and all of a sudden, I just start hyperventilating because I'm having an anxiety attack. I'm having a panic attack, and I've never had this in my life. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Is, it, is there a demon in me? Like, what? I don't know. Like, what's going on? You know, I think it went like five minutes, but it felt like forever. And then, you know what happened is everything in me was like, I want to go back to Korea. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. I want to go back to Korea. And then these anxiety attacks kept coming all of a sudden. And I'm like, what is going on right now? Every time I met friends, every time I met with a pastor, I would walk away so just filled with insecurity. I'm catching up with my friends, and they're like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm a firefighter now, and God's using me this, this way. My other friend I meet up with, oh, they're a school principal now doing all these things. My other friend, he's a doctor. My other friend, all these different things. Every time I walk away from it, I'm not encouraged. I'm discouraged because I'm comparing myself to them. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm starting to think questions like, am I really a pastor? Am I really called to be a pastor? I don't think this is a real job. If I wasn't a pastor, what, what would I do? And am I hiding behind being a pastor because I don't know what else to do? I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. I don't think this is it. And I started going down this spiral. Down this spiral. <clears throat> And so as I talk with friends and family and try to have these informal counseling sessions, this is what happened. There's this term that I kept reading about and my friend was telling me about. This, called, uh, this term is called codependency. Codependency is when you derive your peace and your security from either another person or your vocation. Little did I know that God had to bring me out away from Korea away from my friends, away from this church, away from my job and vocation, to rest, to finally be in a place where I have, I'm away from what I do. And I was away from what I did. And that's when it hit me. Man, my value and my peace is really derived from my job. It's really derived from people. It's really derived from all your guys' encouragements that I just fed off of. That's what I realized. You know how I know this was God? I went on a trip with my mom and sister, a three-day trip, and we went into an Airbnb, and I look on, into this wall. There's a bookshelf. It's all Christian books. I'm like, okay, cool, Christian house, right? <laughs> and then, like, 
this one shelf, this one shelf that has 20 books of the same book. And it says, please take one. And I take out that book. And then you know what it says? It says healing from codependency. Right? And I'm like, okay, like, I get it. I get it. I get it. You know, all these things are here. And then even as I came back, you know, I have to confess something before you guys. I fell into very unhealthy habits. I fell into it. Even though I'm a pastor, I still was tempted. You know, I started smoking because that's something that I used to do back in the day. I started smoking. I started drinking. I started doing all these things to try to cope and and try to do all these things. And then for the first time, all these things, this, this life that I was living by myself, just going through it with so much shame and so much fear, I started sharing with my staff. I started sharing with my the house church leaders. You know, half of you guys already know this. It's a repeat for you guys. Right? You know, so I'm doing all these things, and I realize, dang, I am a mess. I am a mess. My heart is a mess. So I go get counseling. A couple of days ago was, was my ninth session. I've been getting counseling. And counseling has been changing my life. God has been really unraveling and revealing so much in my heart. So much in my heart. He's been healing me in so many ways. But the number one thing that God has been highlighting to me is that I need a new heart. As I talk with my counselor, she's saying, you can't just do behavior modification anymore. You know what my counselor told me? You're a pastor. That's the hardest part. You know exactly what to do. You know all the theories, you know all these things, but what you need to do, you, need, you really need to change your heart. And I was like, I know. So you can do all these things. So I've been praying, I've been talking with people. And here's what happened. Um, Pastor Susie, she preached this message, and the first message in Nehemiah. And when she said that the people of God, they did everything right, but they didn't have a new heart. That really struck me hard because at that point in my counseling sessions, you know what was happening was I really felt like the pain but also the peace of, of God just really just doing surgery in my heart. Holy Spirit revealing to me the strongholds and my addictions and these insecurities, where they're coming from and all these things. He really just started doing surgery in my heart. And then as time passed, I told my counselor in my sixth session, I said, you know, it's weird. It's really hard what I'm going through, but I feel like a new person. I feel different. The way that I see people, the way that I see, you know, my house church knows. Like, the way that the people are being very vulnerable to be, to be human and, and, and share the struggles and the way we pray to God. Together. The way that I see so many things, it's so different. I feel like a new person. I feel like, like God's giving me like a new heart or something. And I said that to my counselor, and she started tearing up. You know why she started tearing up? Because what happened was she said, John, i got to tell you something. After the first session, this is an activity I like to do. After the first session, I have a portfolio of all my clients, and I write a nickname for them. And she said, after I meet them for the first time, I pray and I ask God for a nickname for them. And after the first session, the name that I wrote for you on that folder was New Heart. And then I started, oh, I started, I started tearing up. And I realized, like, man, this is real, guys. Like, I'm experiencing, I'm still going through stuff right now where I'm experiencing Holy Spirit doing some crazy things in my heart. And it hurts. It hurts so good, though, right? It hurts, right? 
but it's real. It's real. It's, it's wholeness. I'm like, God, you're doing this because you want abundant life for me. You know? And I'm here, I'm sharing this today, and I wanted to share this not only because uh, stating the obvious, like our church needs a new heart before we try to do anything as a church. It's corporately, right? But on an individual level, I want to just um, really encourage everyone here that God wants to really give us a new heart. God wants to really turn our hearts of stone into a heart of flesh. Some of our hearts are so hurt from maybe even offense from the sin of others, you know. Some of our hearts are so, it's not guarded, but it's imprisoned. Like we won't let anybody in. You know, some of our hearts we're struggling with, you know, we were seeing the other day, like, like, what are the things that have been stolen from us? Some of us, the fear of the Lord has been stolen from us. There's no reverence of God, so we kind of mold God and shape him to us, you know. Some of us, he's stolen peace. Some of us, we're, we're really struggling with anxiety. Still. Some of us, we're really struggling as we come Sunday in, Sunday out. I don't feel like I'm living this. It doesn't feel like the abundant life that Christ wanted for me. You know, I don't know what it is for you. But I want to testify here that God is real. He cares for you. He wants you to have a whole heart. He wants you to guard your heart. He not only wants you to be healthy, but he wants to partner with you. He wants to shape you. He wants to walk with you to bring influence to wherever you are. But he wants you to be whole more than what you can do for him. Even as a church, he wants us to be healthy more than what he can do through us as a church here.